as we moved here from uh, Christchurch and we planted this church, it's the first time that I have led a church outright. So uh, I've always been, you know, uh, the associate pastor or the campus pastor or the worship pastor or the student, you know, or I co-pastored a church in Wellington. And, uh, and so it's been a really interesting journey personally in terms of just what it feels like to, uh, to carry the weight of a church and the privilege, you know, of that. And, and also the God's grace, you know, it's amazing how he just, uh, is, he always has enough resources for us, even if we feel stretched. And I've been joking with anyone that's been involved in any sort of church leadership at all, historically, or any sort of responsibility in church, knows that God puts you in a place of responsibility slightly beyond where you probably should be in terms of your spiritual depth. It's just, I know, I don't want to shock anyone here, but that's just the simple truth. If you're uh, maybe one of our home church leaders, you know that feeling. You're like, should I be in charge of this group? And he just puts us just beyond probably what we should be. And in that place, it's a place of growth and stretching. And it's an invitation to become more dependent on him and to, to draw near to him. And so as we've taken this journey and um, as I've tried to be a grown up and lead a church for the first time, uh, it's been just a great revelation of my own weakness and brokenness and, uh, and how I just do not have it in terms of all the things that you need to do this sort of job well. Um, but also, you know, the, the reality is that God's called us to be a great blessing to the bay. And, you know, half our church is away on holiday, uh, it turns out, this Sunday because we're in the middle of the week of the school holidays. And, and you look around, it's like, oh, we're not many people and how's this all going to work? And, and, it's like, and yet somehow that's exactly what, you know, God just loves kind of taking least likelies and, and you know, taking just a few people and doing just amazing things through them. And so I've kind of got this great belief, which I've never had before. You've got to understand, most of you guys don't know me that well because I've only been in the Bay for a couple of years, but it's like I'm not a guy that's preached revival ever. Like I've just never preached revival because I'm like, in fact, I got a bit burnt by the whole thing in my teenage years. And it just be, and I'll, to be really, really honest, which I like being, as you're discovering, I just thought it was a bit of a silver, as a Christian laziness. I thought this whole revival thing, I was like, it's just lazy Christians who want the Holy Spirit to do something so they don't have to do the job of discipling and reaching people. And then, and hopefully all the churches get filled up by His Spirit. A little revival. That was my kind of, you know, I'm kind of a cynic. I'm a little doubting Thomas and all that. And so... Uh, it's, I find it bizarre that I'm like, I really feel like we're called to see God use us to bring renewal to the bay. <laughs> I find it weird that I say that, but as I've been, so I've been praying a lot into that, and a lot of what I want to share on that day of vision and, and uh, prayer is, is how can we do that? How can we partner with God? Because that's his longing, convinced of it, that he wants to see God pour out his presence. That he just wants to presence himself all around the bay. And so I really feel like we need to be praying into that. And But more than praying into it, preparing ourselves for it. Like how many home church leaders will we need to have well have that are well trained up and are well equipped to disciple a bunch of people? Like that's you know, I want to really break it down. Go, what would it, what would it take? But ultimately, we can plan and strategize and train. But the thing that we all need is more of His presence. 
It's like, and it's what the bay needs. It's more of his presence. It's what Marai Nui needs. It's more of his presence. Every broken home that we visit through Tehahi, it's his presence. And the only thing that we have of value is his presence. And the only thing that, uh, what I'm longing for is more of God's presence in my life and in our gatherings and in our scatterings that we would just be people that carry his presence. That's why I want us to champion strong devotional lives because I'm tired of Christian programs and strategies as much as, much as I you know, think they're important. Because what we need is presence. And what we need to be, you know, is to be people of his presence. And so I felt as, as I've picked up the weight of being a senior pastor, uh, this, this dependence, I was like, God, I just need you. I, I don't have, I'm not, you know, Andy Stanley or, you know, thank goodness I'm not Bill Hybels, uh, you know, or I'm not... Uh, you know, these Rick Warren, I'm not a mate, I'm just, I'm Sam Harvey who grows beards and, you know, and likes his home theatre and it's like, and somehow you've put me in this position and the only way I can bear this weight is if your presence is with us. And the only way that we can move forward is if we have his presence. I just long for it and I long for it for you and I long for more of it myself. It's just that we'd be, be people of his presence. I don't want us to be a purpose-driven church. I want us to be a presence-driven church. That we just love his presence. That we have, That's why what we do here with the worship is so precious. And that's why communion into worship, I mean, this is not the high point of our sermon, of, of our sermon. The high point is communion and worship. It's coming, breaking bread, drinking the juice, celebrating his love for us, rejoicing in the freedom from sin that we have because of his great love. And then for an audience of one, we worship him. And we lift, he doesn't care about our song, he cares about our hearts. So I don't, you know, if we sing in tune or not, it doesn't matter. If we like singing or not, it doesn't matter. It's about offering our hearts to him and worshiping him. It's why it's so, it's, and it's because as he does that, he's drawn to worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. And his presence, he draws near to us. And I don't know about you, but as we were worshiping this morning, you could just sense his presence. I was like, oh, I'm home. Oh, my soul's like, ah. <laughs> Yeah, this is nice. This is we're home again. We're, we're we're with the one that we love. So I want to look at Moses because he goes. He 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 feels the same stuff I'm trying to communicate this morning. And there's this lovely moment. But let's have a look at the backstory of Moses real quickly. If we can go to the previous slide, Michael. Uh, so you've you've got um, Moses. He's this is a, a actual drawing of Moses, uh, and so uh, he is. Just quickly, backstory, miraculously saved from death as an infant because he's an Israelite uh, and he's raised a, as an Egyptian in a place of great privilege. He was hot-tempered, most likely arrogant, um, and with a, clearly a passion for justice. This gets him into trouble when he murders an Egyptian guard and he flees into the, de- flees into the desert. Uh, and it's very interesting that almost every single person used dramatically by God in the Bible has an extended period in the desert place. This is where God breaks the ego. This is where God does his deepest work. And so if you feel like you're in the desert place right now, uh, be rest assured that God is at work. And I just want to say, because I know a number of people are in that place, allow God to lead you. Press into him in worship. Be radically obedient. You don't have to draw out that time. 
you know, you can draw it out by just being a rebellious little mule who doesn't want to uh, be led. Uh, but I would just so encourage you to just allow God to do what he wants to do in you. And Moses needed the desert time. He, as I said, he had a big ego and he was arrogant and, uh, and he was trying to take control. Um, and so for 40 long years, that's a long time of preparation. He works as a humble shepherd. I, I keep saying, you know, I look at all these guys my age who are like mega pastors around the world, and I'm like, oh, I feel like God's going to keep me in the desert. For, not that I feel like I'm in the desert here, but there's lots of... Okay, <laughs> but there's so much, that, so much deep work God's doing in me in this season, so much deep work in terms of just stripping away my ego and my arrogance. I can see so much of myself in Moses in terms of that hot-headed, you know, passionate young guy who's like, let's go, and... Uh, and then it's like, yeah, I feel like God's been doing quite a deep work in my own heart. And so he's there. And then he has this encounter with God at the burning bush. And he's called to be uh, the spokesman and the leader that would liberate the Israelites. He's called to be the spokesman and he has a stutter. <laughs> just think that's so God. It's just classic, eh? It's like, now who could I pick to be my mouthpiece in front of the most powerful man in the world? I'll pick you. Me, 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 me. It's like, yes, you. <laughs> You'll be my mouthpiece. You've got the wrong, wrong, wrong guy. And it's like, no, this is how he loves to use as he uses stutterers to be his mouthpiece what a great God and so he goes through all sorts of stuff long story short after 10 plagues the Israelites are liberated they march into the desert there's all sorts of ups and downs God fundamentally begins to reshape their identity and their purpose as a people at times I mean we are so the Israelite people at times they're beautifully obedient and at times they're stupid and disobedient I mean they're us this the, the stories of the scriptures are our stories you know, one minute we're so faithful and we're so radically obedient and we're like, yes, God. And then next minute we're building a golden calf and saying, this will be my God and I'm going to hold on to you, career or security or whatever it may be. And so, and then we get to this point in Exodus 33. Uh, and if you've got your Bibles open, to verse 12 to 17, as you can see, we've got it on the screens here. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, then do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Lovely, lovely moment, crucial moment in the story of the Israelite people and of Moses in particular. Uh, three points this morning. Normally it's a buffet, it's a buffet of thoughts from Harvey. This morning we have three points. Hallelujah. The first point is this that Moses had a heart for the people he was leading. He knew that he was called to serve them and he was called to lead them. Verse 12, he says, You've been telling me to lead these people. So he knew that he was called uh, to serve them. Something had happened in Moses' life uh, which led Moses to have a, a great love for the people that he was called to lead. And anytime you see the word lead, just replace the word serve with the word serve. To lead means to serve. And so, the, so Moses, uh, like, and, and there's been a number of times where, uh, where Moses has seen the, you know, God's got really cross with the Israelite people because they've been super disobedient. And the number of times Moses is like, spare them, 
kill me if you have to kill anyone, but please spare them. Like He has such a love for these people. But indeed, God has such a love for these people. Uh, we see, uh, it says earlier, I think, verse um, uh, Exodus 3, here we go. It says, the Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God had heard the groans and the cries of his people who were in slavery. And in the same way, God hears the groans and the cries of the people that are everywhere in the bay right now who are groaning under slavery, who are a slave to addictive behaviours, who are, who are slaves to a, a secular worldview that has no hope in it, that has no purpose in it. The suicide rates are through the roof, the domestic violence stuff. Is, I mean, it's just this groan. These are all just symptoms of groans and cries of a people enslaved. And God hears this and he has compassion for them. And he's like, I want to lead these people out from that slavery into a land flowing with milk and honey, a good place. You know, the word for salvation, the, the literal meaning is a wide open space. When you discover Jesus and you discover His salvation, it starts feeling like a wide open space of great freedom. And this is what the Lord wants to do in this and through us, is He wants us to have a groaning on behalf of the people that are groaning out there, to feel a compassion and to have a love so that we could lead slash serve them and help them come to places of flowing with milk and honey. This is the call, this is the, the desire of God as He wants. And so as Moses uh, looked at the people, he knew he loved them and he knew them and he had a compassion for them. The common theme in Scripture is, is that God is, is desperate to do things, but he's looking for people that he can use. Isaiah 6, whom shall I send is the cry of God's heart as Isaiah encounters the, the living God. As Jesus looks out and all the broken people in Israel, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And this is why I want to say that uh, the journey of healing that many of us are taking, it's far bigger than just your journey of healing. Because when we go through broken times, through desert times, it is appropriate and in that season to be very self-focused. You need to be. Your emotional energy is going to be low and you need to focus on, a, on partnering with God to bring healing to those broken places. But the reason that we do that isn't just so that you'll feel whole one day, it's so that your capacity for compassion for others will go up. It's nor, at a certain point, God wants to bring you to a place where you move beyond just thinking about yourself and your immediate needs and your immediate family to the point where you carry something of God's heart for the, for the bay. And my prayer is that as you leave today and as we go into this week, is that as you drive or as you walk around the bay, wherever it may be this week, that you begin to see people with God's eyes that you begin to look and just go, I wonder what that person's going through. I wonder what they're carrying. I wonder, and just to begin to feel something of God's heart for the people. This is what leadership is. This is what I, we, I'm desperate to see this church just be filled with leaders slash servants who have compassion for the broken in our, in our region and who therefore are prepared to open up their homes and invite people in and to love them and to disciple them, and to point ultimately to Jesus. Second point is that Moses has become very dependent on God. In the early stage of Moses' journey, he's dependent on himself. 
he's been growing up in a great place of privilege like most of us have grown up in. And so therefore he feels like he can kind of do whatever he wants to do. And so when he th- sees things that aren't right, he just takes it upon himself to, to try and correct the situation, which in his case involves murder. <laughs> okay, <laughs> escalates quite quickly. Uh, and it's like, wow, be encouraged. I don't care what your history is. God can use you. <laughs> Doesn't mean you can use murderers like Moses as the liberators of his people. And so he's been humbled, he's been shaped in the desert place, what began as a life of privilege and ease uh, and, and, and really been arrogant and quite spoilt, comes to the place where he's, he's very broken and he's very dependent of, on God. He went from being a, a big deal of somebody to be a nobody, but in that place he discovered the great I am. He discovered God in a way that he never would have in that place of privilege. And so he, uh, he, he then cries out, that he, his desire is to know God's ways, uh, to, to know Him. He says, I want to know you, Lord God. I want to know your ways. He says this in, uh, in verse um, 13. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you. What a great line. I pray that that's the case for you because this, this is what the desert does. The desert place strips us of all the things that we so often lean on and we come to this place of dependence. He's been doing that in my heart. You know, if it was just about strategies and about the right techniques and about all that sort of stuff, then pastoring would just get, I don't know, it would be very boring after a while. Uh, but it's not about techniques and strategies. It's about knowing him and being near him. And so he's been humbled. And, uh, and he knows that it's not about giftings or positions or about power. It's about a, a dependence on the Lord. This is uh, why I just love what God's doing in our church at this time. And why, again, every Sunday I'm doing this, I want to get my pom-poms out and say, go devotional life, you can do it. If you're falling off the wagon, get back on the wagon this week. You know, this is about who... We're going to have some new cultural statements in our church. Uh, me and Chris talking about this the other day, and it's um, and this is a little risque because I say the c word, which I think's okay, um, but whatever. Uh, but you know, this is we're going to just be saying this from now on in our church. It's cool if it's crap. Like if your devotional life's crap, it's cool if it's crap. Let's just talk about it. Like the fact we've made our devotional lives such a secret thing that we never talk to anyone about is just so not a biblical thing. Jesus was constantly having conversations with his disciples about his devotional life. The reason they're asking him to teach them how to pray is because they're watching him in action. Now, it is a secret place between you and God, but the only way that we can grow that secret place is by actually beginning to talk about our devotional lives. And, you know, the number one battle in the church is over our devotional lives. And the enemy's gone hammer and tongs against people's devotional lives. And I've come to the realisation because of how much of a struggle it was for me that when I started talking to, to anyone my age and younger is that most of them didn't have, most of our guys didn't have devotional lives. Practices that enable us to engage with the presence of God. Now I'm not, like it's, just, it's normal, it's okay if that's rubbish, but let's choose to say we want to be people of His presence, not just with theory, not just hoping for some external Holy Spirit thing to sweep the bay that we don't have to do any work for. Let's press into Him. Let's press into His presence. Let's prioritise Him. It's cool if it's crap. Let's just start talking about the fact it's a bit crap and we would like it to get not crap. Wow, there's a lot. Man, that's, I, I might edit this podcast and all the, all the people here on the podcast will be beep. Whoa, Harvey was on a roll today. 
there's something about, and I'm telling you guys, while it's a battle, when you choose to press in and push through, oh, let's go to point. So my first point, my first point, where was it? I've forgotten. The first point is that Moses knew that he was called to lead, to slash love, to slash serve these people. The second thing out of that is he, he, he just had this dependence on God. But the third thing in this, in this passage here is what God promises. Because as he says, I want to know you. As he says, I need, to, I need you, God. I need you. I can't do this without you. Who are you going to send with us? And, and hopefully you. You know, he, as he's fishing around for all of these questions, the Lord promises him two things. He says, I will give you my presence. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Oh, what a combo. Hallelujah. Love it. I mean, there's so much that God could have added to his presence, but the thing he adds to his presence is rest. Oh. I just love this. And I tell you why, because I've been feeling a bit stressed. I've been like, I feel like it's been your presence and some stress, God, because I've been like, I've been burdened by the needs of the bay and I've been thinking about the next 10 years and I've been like, how do we do this? And, and it's like, God's like, well, the first thing is to dial down the stress, Harvey, because I want to give you rest. I want to give you my presence and I want to give you rest. Like when I, I just know, and I need you to, 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 to hold me accountable to this, that when we start getting big visions from God about what he wants to do through an ordinary bunch of people, there can be a sense of striving and stress that can kick in. Oh, God's called us to reach the bay, to raise up home church leaders that disciple others and blah, blah, blah. And then we can start kind of getting, and we've all been part of churches like this where it's like, whoa, mate, we're all bleeding to keep the flag red, but we're doing it because we've got a great vision to see his kingdom break in. And it's all, but we're all starting to burn people out and using them like batteries for the sake of God's kingdom and all that. And it's like, whoa, no, no, no. Let's build the kingdom the king's way. And that isn't with stress, it's with rest. Because when you choose to rest in him, it's saying, I trust in you, that it's your church, that it's your region, that it's your spirit, and it's only you that can change the human heart. We can be obedient, we can be radi- and I want us to be radically obedient. We can love and serve people, but ultimately it's by his, his spirit, it's his presence. He's the one that brings change. Oh, I love it. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I mean, that's rest. Uh, verse 14, and I will give you rest. Uh, uh, what else have I got up there? Oh, Psalm 91, whoever dwells in the shadow of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Psalms, it's all the way through the Psalms. Honestly, I did a bit of a Bible kind of word search on rest. It's everywhere. Uh, uh, Psalm 62 is another one. Yes, my, fo- my soul finds rest. My hope comes from Him. He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Some of these Psalms are written after David had had an affair and murdered someone. Now I say that because often when we're battling addictions or secret sin or anything like that, we can be reluctant to hang out with Jesus because we're nervous he's going to make us feel more stink than we already do. Amen, right? What if we just flip that totally on its head and we were like, you know what? If you choose to run to the one who can make you clean, he will actually give you rest. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Like there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And by his spirit, he will lift you up out of the miry clay and set your feet upon the rock again. What if we totally had an image of God that says he is the one I run to rather than run from? You know, and, and, and what if he is the one that I'm going to find rest? 
this is all, this is my big, this is the only thing I'll, forget everything else that I've said today. Listen, guys, he wants to give you rest. And when you come into his presence, he will give you rest. He will be like a refuge from the blizzard of the, of the society and the secularism that we live in and swim in. If, when we come to him, it's like, oh, he's our rest. It's so, so beautiful. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I mean, this is just Jesus' invitation to us all, is that we will come to him and rest in him. Oh, man, the world needs his presence. The world needs his rest. And my desire for every one of us is that we would know the nature of God in such a way that we would run to him and that he would be our rest, and he would be our refuge, and he would be our strong fortress, and we could hide, we could shelter under the wings of the Almighty. We could hide in the cleft of the rock. All these things that David would say, this is who God is for me. Even after I've murdered and and had an affair, this is who God is for me. What an awesome God. And what a great heart that David had in the midst of all of that. And so Moses prays this prayer and, and, uh, and uh, sorry, asked the Lord of this. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you my presence and I'm going to give you rest. And then, uh, then Moses goes up to the mountain and the Lord passes by his glory, passes by. And this is after 40 years in the wilderness. And this is after all the stuff that he went through in Egypt. Moses goes up to that mountain and God reveals himself in a way that is so pure and beautiful that when Moses came down from that mountain, the people couldn't even look in his face because of the glory of God that was shining uh, as a reflection of what, uh, of what he had seen. And friends, this is what I long for uh, when, it, when it comes to our journey here. You know, is that we would just be a people of his presence there's something of God's glory, something of his presence would just reflect off us. But also that something of his rest, that we would be a non-anxious presence in a very, very stressed and rushed world. That we will carry something of the peace, the rest of God. And that can't happen just with uh, you know, you know, doing more. Actually, the invitation when you hang out with Jesus is to do a whole lot less and to choose to be with him. And so this morning, I just want to uh, once more encourage us to be people of his presence. I want to encourage you to pursue a strong devotional life with him. But can I just say, don't do that out of obligation. Well, do it however you want to do it, to be honest. If you want to do it out of obligation, fine with me. But, uh, but what will happen is that we'll move from being a discipline to being a, an absolute desire. Because the more that you choose to say, I'm going to want to put this in place in my life, the more you discover that all the stuff I'm preaching about isn't theory, it's experience. As you you spend time with him, it's a place of rest. It's a place of refuge. And the more that you spend time with him, it's like his presence is just so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And ultimately, it's the thing that heals us. Ultimately, it's the thing that makes life bearable sometimes. Ultimately, it's what the bay needs. And ultimately, it's the most beautiful place that you could ever live, is to be people that just walk in step with his presence. So what I'd love to do this morning is just to invite uh, God to come and presence himself among us, to um, renew and refresh us. And, uh, And particularly if you've been feeling a bit on the weary side, I know with kids, like we've got three children whose personalities are a perfect storm in terms of just, you know, um, that dynamic of argument and, and tears. And so we've had a lovely week of school holidays where I've just <laughs> hoarse of ye- yelling at them and all that sort of thing. And it's like, <sighs> and in the midst of all of that, I'm like, Lord, teach me. 
to withdraw to lonely places, even for 30 seconds, and just experience your presence and know your rest. And uh, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're, what, what's going on in your life. But um, I, just, I just pray that for you guys this morning. Let's, let's just stay seated. For talking about rest, let's, we don't have to stand. Let's just lean back on those comfortable wooden planks. And, uh, <laughs> and I just want to pray that God would just come and minister to us this morning. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you are a really safe place for us to be vulnerable and for us to be open and to, to be our true selves. And so in this moment, we just choose to be our true selves before you. With all of our weirdness and all of the things we're ashamed about and all of our brokenness and all of our history and all of that, Lord, we just choose in this moment just to sit with you knowing that you love us. And Lord, we want to echo Moses' prayer this morning. Lord, we just sense the, the great need in our region. We sense the great need in the bay. And you've been telling us, Lord, to, to serve and love these people. Lord, we just confess this morning that we can't do it just through good social work or great activities that we plan. It's your presence that we need and that this region needs. So Lord, if you're pleased with us, would you teach us your ways? so that we would know you and that we would find favour with you. And Lord, we just hear your voice in response to that prayer this morning. Say, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So Lord, would you come this morning and just presence yourself in a new way, in a fresh way to every one of us. Lord, we don't want to just live off the thought of yesterday's moment with you or last year's moment with you. We want to, in this, this time, we just want to be near you and we want to feel your presence. So by your spirit, would you bring fresh revelation? Would you bring heaven to earth? Would that, the veil that, 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 that feels like it sometimes separate us from, from being near you, I just pray that it would just be lifted in this place. And in this moment, we'll just encounter you afresh and just sense your loving presence all around us. And Lord, we just rest in that this morning. We just rest in that this morning. Forgive us for our striving. Forgive us for the pace of our lives. Forgive us for the pace of our hearts and minds. Help us to be still and know that you are God. Come Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just ask that you would just reveal your glory. Lord, as you reveal it to Moses, that you would reveal just that there'd be a... a there be a fresh revelation of the glory of God, of the beauty of God, of the majesty of God. Lord, as we seek you in that, in that secret place, as we pursue you, not just on a Sunday morning, but every day, Father, we, I just pray that there would just be moments of great encounter with you throughout this week and that it would be a place, a safe place of refreshment and a safe place of rest and a place of healing and a place of wholeness. And Lord, I pray that you'd teach us what it looks like to carry your presence everywhere we go. That Lord, we'd be people of your presence, of your loving kindness. Teach us to pray, Father. Teach us to lean into you. We bless you, Lord.